Let's open our Bibles to the book of James this morning, James chapter 3, Taming the Tongue. That's our current series. This morning is part two of three reasons why we must learn to control our words. Speech is a wonderful gift from God. Speech is unique to humans. When I was in public high school, a biology teacher, a nice person really, but uh, ignorant uh, in this area, said there's only the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom. But the truth is, uh, there is another kingdom, and that's the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, there are humans, which are the highest creation of God. And only humans can speak. The animals can't speak. Well, Mr. Ed used to be able to speak, but uh, (laughs) plants uh, can't speak. But men can. With our tongues, we can praise and glorify God. We can quote the Word of God. We can pray. We can express loving devotion to one another. Words. They have the power to hurt. They have the power to heal. They have the power to help or sadly to hinder. God told Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. It's your choice. You can have a blessing. You can have a curse. Really was the context there. But I really think that that's verses for us. Every day we have a choice to be a blessing or to be a curse. To help somebody to make the day and make their day a brighter day or make their day a worse day. Set before each of us is a blessing. And may God help us to use our tongues for good. I had to smile as I read this uh, story because uh, I've been in this situation, although not exactly with fishing. A preacher, by the way, this story is called the, the cussing deacon. A preacher was made aware that he had a deacon in his church who from time to time was known to cuss. In his attempt to help the deacon overcome the terrible habit, the preacher decided he would spend some personal time with the deacon so they could have a a long talk about the problem. The preacher decided to ask the deacon to go fishing, thinking that might provide him an opportunity to talk about his situation. They were out on a boat, and their lines had been in the water when the preacher hooked a big fish. He put up a mighty fight, but he finally reeled the fish up to the edge of the boat. It was the biggest fish the preacher had ever caught. Just as the minister started to pull his catch into the boat, the fish slipped off of the hook and got away. Thoroughly disgusted, the preacher looked over and said, Deacon, something needs to be said right here. (laughs) Yep, sometimes it's just got to be said, I guess. But um, may God help us to uh, control our words this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the beautiful, amazing power of your word. Lord, your words have encouraged us and blessed us and lifted us when nothing and nobody else could. Help us, Lord, this morning. I pray that you'll just draw our minds and hearts and spirits together. Lord, may we be different as a result of the fellowship, the prayers, the beautiful music, and then in time in your word, And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. 
James chapter 3, if you would, please. Brother James, what a man. It is thought that he is the uh, half-brother of Jesus Christ, or at least uh, from a fleshly standpoint. James was uh, the blue-collar pastor. He was not uh, in his ivory tower. No, he was down where the dirt and the grime was. His theme in the book of James was do right. Probably was a sub-theme, and that was uh, life's tough. (laughs) But uh, with God's grace, we can make it through. But his whole point in the book of James was uh, let's not just, um, you know, kind of waffle away into beautiful little theological arguments. Let's get down and let's make our Christianity practical. He was the one who kept saying, it's good to have faith, but it is your good works that prove your faith in Christ. In the book of James, uh, perhaps uh, is the most thorough and complete uh, explanation of the importance of our words in all of the New Testament. Christians uh, think differently. We know that. We believe differently. But as a result of that, Christians talk differently. Sometimes you might be at work or out someplace, and someone might say, you know what? I thought maybe you were a Christian. How did they know that? Maybe the look on your face, maybe the way you responded. But the fact is, our words and our tone, the things that we do and say, do make a big impact on the people around us. And the fact is, Our tongue is our biggest battle. There are other sins that we may not fall into simply because we don't have the access or we don't have the money or the time or whatever, but the tongue, oh my goodness, we have such a battle with that. Now, last week we mentioned that there are three reasons why we must learn to control our words. Number one, because of the influence of our words. And we're going to finish that outline here today, but we saw that A tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth, a tiny little metal bit, and yet it can control this big old giant horse. We saw that it is like a rudder on a ship. And now today, the third part in our outline, and that is that it is like a spark, just a tiny spark, a little match, as it were, in dry grass. Look what it says in verse 5 of James chapter 3. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Because of its power to influence, we must influence the tongue. Today, uh, people are called influencers, and they have so many followers and so many people that they influence. There are those that are good influencers, and sadly, there are those that aren't. But the fact is, our tongue is a great influencer. Look at that little part in this verse that says, behold. Now, that's a word that just simply means, wow, or look at this, or it's an exclamation, or beware, clear and present danger ahead. The actual original text says something like this, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small little spark. It only takes a little spark and an entire forest or an entire city can be burnt to the ground. I read one day that the great Chicago fire, the fire that devastated Chicago, basically burned it to the ground, was started when a, a cow kicked over a kerosene lamp and it spread from there. The great San Francisco fire, it was a, a spark. And of course, uh, 
Uh, here in California, we've had all these uh, terrible wildfires, and especially last year was just a terrible year. And uh, a little spark or somebody just throwing paper out or a little spark from a, a transformer, and it just causes so many loss of lives. Have you ever thought about how powerful fire is compared to, let's say, for example, water? You know, water cannot multiply like fire can. You take a cup of water and you pour a cup of water out, it just stays like that. You can pour it on the ground and it just does what it does. It just is water. Fire, you take one little match and it absolutely multiplies. And that's the, what God uses here. He says the tongue is like fire. It's not like a, a tongue that, uh, or a fire or water that just kind of douses something. No, it's like, a, like an amazing fire. Look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 27. Proverbs written by the great man of God, Solomon. An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is a burning fire. He diggeth, he looks for stuff. And then in his mouth there's a burning fire, just an incendiary remark. Not a calming remark, but a burning remark. Verse 28, a froward man. Now that doesn't mean forward. <laughs> uh, it is a, an old English word, and it just means obstinate, defiant, difficult, someone who's just a negative person. A froward person soweth strife. They can't love anybody but themselves, and they can't stand it when anybody else is happy or when anybody else wins, and so they make it their business to sow strife. They tell lies. They tell half-truths. <laughs> Over the years, uh, I've heard people say, well, why would that person lie? <laughs> you know, I say, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea why they would lie, but um, trust me, that's a lie. That's just a lie. I have no idea their motivations, but for a lot of times, people don't have to have any motivations. Just simply, it says they are a whisperer or they have a burning fire that's in their lips and they just love to make other people suspicious of one another. Lips, it says, burning with hellish fever. Look at Proverbs 26 and verse 20. Even where there, when there's no wood, the fire goes out. So there is no talebearer, the strife seethes. A talebearer, one who just takes that little bit of spice and goes to the next person. The strife ceaseth. As coals to a burning fire, or as coals are to burning coals, and as wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Here it says that some people just love to take little burning coals. Take that little burning coal and you take it someplace else and you try to fire something else up and it's amazing how quickly just things dissipate when there's no more fire. One person in the secretary pool can just make a whole office just have so much drama, so much trouble. When that person leaves, man, it's just like, oh, it's just a breath of fresh air. Some guy out there on the work line, just one person can make everything just so difficult. One child in a family can just make things so hard in a family. One person on a team can just make it just hard to win ever anything. It's amazing how words can worm their way in and they just begin to, it's like a chain reaction. And that's what this James is saying here is that fire has this chain reaction. 
You talk to somebody, they talk to somebody, and it just gets spread out. Zig Ziglar is a famous motivational speaker and a former Sunday school teacher at the great mega church in Dallas, First Baptist Church. For years, he was a Sunday school teacher, but Zig Ziglar is a powerful speaker and writer. He told the story about Mr. Sparks, an appropriate named person in the story. Mr. Sparks, he was at a country club having lunch. He was an executive. He was a very busy man, a successful man, running a large company. He becomes engrossed in his uh, luncheon and then realizes he is late for an appointment. So he rushes out of that country club, jumps in his classy, high-powered car, 90 miles an hour, running towards his office when he's stopped by a policeman. He's a law-abiding man, but on this day, he was in a hurry, and he was just so upset that he was late. Now he was stopped by a policeman. He couldn't believe that he was uh, ticketed, goes to the office, still muttering to himself, infuriated, comes in, sees his chief sales director, and says, hey, did you get that contract settled that I gave to you? He said, hey, I I'm sorry, we lost that contract, and, and no way we can get that back. He said, hey, I thought I told you to get that no matter what. I'm telling you something. If you don't replace that, you are replaceable. The sales director's like, what? So he's now upset. The sales director goes into his assistant and says to his assistant, Ms. Jones, did you get those letters done that I told you to get done? I, you told me to do this. I, look, I want you to do both. You need to do both. You can't just do one thing or the other. You got to do them both. She's like, what? And he walks away. Now she's upset. So she goes over to the receptionist and says, all you do is sit here and answer the phone. You need to help me do these letters. The receptionist is like, what? What are you talking about? She goes home and she's upset thinking about what that uh, assistant said all day. She comes home walks into her house, sees her little 13-year-old son sitting on the ground playing video games. The house doesn't look very clean, and she just lays into him, what are you doing playing video games? You probably haven't even done your homework and look at this house. The boy looks at her, and he then upset. He walks upstairs, and on his way upstairs, he sees his cat. And so he just gives his cat a big old boot. And uh, that cat goes head over heels and Brother Zig Ziglar said, now, it would have been a whole lot better if that chief executive officer had left the country club, just went to the home of the receptionist, and kicked the cat himself. <laughs> it would have saved a whole lot less uh, issue there. The truth is, one thing, one tongue out of place can just cause this huge chain reaction, and that's what God is saying here. God is saying that this tongue can be this huge issue. One well-known pastor now with the Lord said, and I quote, my greatest fear in ministry is what people might say. Because people will say anything. And sadly, you can never recover from the damage they do. It hurts so many. The tongue is a fire. It's a devastating fire. Morgan Blake, who was a sports writer for the Atlanta Journal, once wrote this, I am more deadly than a screaming shell from a cannon. I win without killing. I tear down homes. I break hearts. I wreck lives. 
I travel on the wings of wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, and no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and as innocent. I never forget, and I seldom forgive. My name is Gossip. Oh, the power of the tongue, the power of gossip. Why must we learn to control our words? Because of the influence, the far-reaching influence like a spark that will just burn up a whole forest. There's a second reason why we must learn to control our words from the book of James chapter 3, and that is because of the iniquity of our words. Now, there are five parts to this iniquity we see in this powerful uh, couple of verses here. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, yes, it is a world of iniquity. Those of you that have been in the Christian circles for a while, you know that that word world is the word cosmos from which we might, uh, we might think of the world out there, the space or something like that. Uh, the astronauts in Russian are called the cosmonaut. Cosmos means world, but it's not just world in the sense of a physical earth, but rather the entire iniquitous system of the human race, the unrighteous, the hostile, the rebelling nature of the human race, that uh, cosmos, that circle of hell. It purposely falls short of God's standard. Notice what it says, it is a system. It is a system, a network. It is a web. The tongue is a deep state. It is a swamp, for sure, that breeds evil one next to the other. Here we see the inherent nature of depravity, that the tongue gets worse and worse. The problem with the tongue is it doesn't stay static. It just gets worse and worse. It is a world. It opens up a world of iniquity. It just keeps getting worse. And every time we think we've heard somebody say something worse or do something worse, it just gets worse. The tongue, first of all, depraves. The second bullet point there is the tongue defiles. Notice the next part of that verse. It says it defiles the whole body. It defiles. The word is to stain something. To pollute something, actually, is the actual word. It means it pollutes. Years ago, uh, after Pauline and I had first gotten married, we had the privilege of going down to Mississippi and being with Brother Eugene Hayden and Bonnie, Miss Bonnie. By the way, ladies, she's coming here in a few weeks. I hope you get a chance to go to ladies' retreat. You'll love her. But uh, it was uh, right after one of those hurricanes, I don't think it was Katrina, but it was after a huge, big uh, hurricane they had down there, and one of the stores had gotten, one of the big clothing stores had gotten just inundated with water. Somehow it had a big roof leak, and I mean, that water came in there, and just about all of their product they had was just stained. And so they had this huge uh, sale. It was a hurricane sale. <laughs> So it was a man's store, it was a woman's store, and they had some other things there. But uh, when you went in, I mean, that whole place just reeked. It stunk of just uh, old, moldy. But, uh, you know, you can find, I was finding these amazing $100 dress shirts for, you know, like $10 or $7. Man, this is a man. These are the best quality shirts I've ever seen. Problem was, they were all stained. They all had uh, roof juice, you know, and rain that had leaked through the roof and the dirt and everything else. And... I thought, man, this is, we'll wash them out and they'll be great. The fact was, 
Only a few of them washed out. The rest of them, they were stained forever. And that's what God is saying here, that uh, our tongue stains what we do. It stains our character, and it stains other people's lives, and it is a pollution job. Have you ever noticed how that when someone has a potty mouth, they seem to also just don't have a very good work ethic? Have you ever noticed that when uh, someone's just such a bitter person, have you ever noticed they just seem to also don't have very, their, what they do on the job just doesn't seem to do very good either? Because why is that? Because the Bible says a person's tongue affects our work. It defiles the whole body. My tongue messes with my hands. It messes with my feet. It messes with my hands. And that's why the more we talk potty, the more we talk bad stuff, the worse that it is for our whole life. It defiles or it stains all we're doing. It depraves. It defiles. And number three, it disturbs. Notice what it says there in verse number six, it sets on fire the course of nature. It sets. It uh, it disturbs the creation. It, it, uh, it changes the course of nature itself. Actually, the word nature there is the circle of life. God says that it touches every part of our life. It's amazing. But when I have a bitter tongue, when I have an angry tongue, when I have a harsh tongue, when I have a harsh tone, it affects the whole family. I've often said to our daughters growing up, and I said, sweet girls, just remember you, your attitude really is the thing that just sets the entire tone for the family. Who you are when you wake up in the morning and the look on your face and all that you do all day long is you are, because you are right there in the center of that home and a happy wife, a happy life, as they say. In fact, there's a whole lot to that. It says it sets on fire the whole course, the whole circle of life. Our tongue makes such a big difference in everybody's life. When a mom looks at her son or daughter and says, you just have a great day. I love you. God's going to be with you today. You're going to do a great job. When a dear wife says to her husband or a husband says to his wife, a father says to his children, all these good things, then good things follow them. But here the word is, it also troubles. It also troubles. That verse in Proverbs eleven twenty nine: he that troubleth his own house inherits the wind. Troubles our own house. Actually, that word there to trouble means to stir the pot. When a person stirs the pot, you know, uh, and I think if you've been married for very long, you usually know what stirs the pot in your wife's life. If you're a wife, you usually know what stirs the pot for your husband, you know. If you, uh, if you know somebody, you usually know what stirs the pot. Of course, you don't even have to know some people. You just know what typically stirs the pot. That's what the word is here. It says, he that troubleth his own house or his own life. Don't, we shouldn't stir the pot. If you're with people, be careful about what you say because you might inherit the wind. I uh, was uh, out uh, golfing with a guy once that I had never met before, and he had, all the, uh, he had all the indicators that he probably was a conservative guy. I mean, he was older. He had been in the military, and uh, it just seemed like he was probably conservative. And I had uh, I'd been ha- hanging out with him for a little bit, and then I said something... Uh, you know, in support of our president, and whoo, you talk about inherit the wind. 
And uh, this guy, uh, come to find out, he had, had been a bar owner over in the Bay Area. And uh, he did not like uh, our president, for sure. He was a very liberal guy. And, ooh, you talk about inherit the wind. I troubled that little pot a little too much. I mean, I hardly didn't say a thing, but uh, it, I definitely inherited the wind. God says, be careful about troubling your house. Don't stir the pot. When you stir the pot, you disturb your life and others too. The tongue, it depraves, it defiles, it disturbs. And then, number four, it dishonors or it corrupts. It's set on fire of hell. Set on fire of hell. This is a very graphic picture here. Now, the word hell there is the Greek word Gehenna. Now, every time Jesus talked about hell or Gehenna, now not Hades, but Gehenna, when he talked about Gehenna, he was talking about eternal damnation and the fires of eternal damnation. And uh, when Hades actually is a word for death, not especially hell. But Gehenna, every time he used that Greek word Gehenna, he was talking about eternal death, eternal damnation, which is a burning fire, uh, a fire that burns and it's never quenched. Where do they get that word? Well, actually, Gehenna is actually means the Valley of Hinnom. It's an actual place. It's southwest of Jerusalem, and you, it's still there today, but Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom, is observable from Jerusalem. You can look out there, and you can see it in the distance. Now, why is, it, why is Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom, such a terrible place? Israel had a very uh, uh, dark history at times, and one of its darkest was the time when they began to worship the false god Molech. And one of the things they did about a thousand years or so before Christ was that they would offer human sacrifices to Molech. Molech, uh, they made an image of Molech, and it was a big brass god that they built a fire inside. And they would throw people into the arms of that brass god. This brass god would then, of course, the, the people would just burn up. It's this red hot uh, brass god, and they began to uh, they began to throw their children to Molech. They threw their children to Molech because they believed that because a child is so pure, they would be when they died they would be a mediator between them and Molech the god. And so mothers would very sad and dads very sadly would take their children and place it in and let them burn alive in the arms of Molech. Thank God for King Josiah. King Josiah, a great revivalist, he came along and said, this is terrible. Now, that all took place in Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna, and that's where it took place. After that stopped, they uh, still, uh, it, became a, it became such a, a, a hateful place to the uh, people of Jerusalem that they turned it into a trash deep dump. And like many uh, third world countries, uh, the trash dump ran all the time, burnt all the time. I've noticed thing, what I've noticed about just about every third world country I've gone into, you always smell smoke. That's because people are always burning their trash. That's not a whole lot unlike this. It never went out. It burnt 24 hours a day. They would not only burn, you know, the, the trash from the meals, but they also would burn anything and everything. They would burn animals. And so, Outside of Jerusalem at a certain place in this valley of Hinnom, Gehenna, would be this burning, and it was a terrible, terrible place. And it became a fitting symbol of 
hell. And that's why Jesus used the word. And that's why it says here that a tongue that is dirty, a tongue that is corrupt, is set on fire of this, this most terrible thing. Basically what it's saying is, is the reason we can't control our tongue and the reason there's so much stuff out there is because of the demons. It is a demonic thing. People say, how can those people say those things? Well, I'll tell you how they can say those things. Because it's demonic, that's how. It is absolutely set on fire of Gehenna. It is demonic. The tongue depraves, it defiles, it disturbs, it dishonors. And then, number five, it is dangerous. The tongue is dangerous. Let's read verses seven and eight together, if you would, please. Read it with me. Ready? Begin. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You remember in Genesis chapter 6, what did God tell Noah? He said, I want you to go out and I want you to take two of every animal, seven of some kind, but I want you to take all these animals. <laughs> well, now if he had said, go out and get a little cottontail rabbit, if you can catch it, I can see why that would be all right. If he had said, you know, cute little puppy, I, I get that. But when Noah was saying, uh, excuse me, you want me to go out and get two lions? <laughs> really? You want me to get two big old ferocious beasts? Now, why is that? How is it possible that Noah could have brought every animal, no matter how fierce, how big, because God has given mankind the power to dominate the animal kingdom? A couple years ago, Pauline and I had the privilege of going to Thailand, being with our missionary there, and... Uh, there we are, riding uh, an Indian elephant. And uh, what we didn't see was we had just come out of that water and that whole top thing shifted sideways. And uh, I looked real peaceful there, but I, well, I was almost in the water, I'll tell you that. But here's that big old elephant controlled by a little guy and a little, little tiny poker thing. And that elephant just uh, did whatever he said. And that's because mankind can have power over the animal kingdom, and yet, with our ability to control tigers and lions and elephants with a little stick or a little stool or a whip or even spoken words, we can't control this tongue that's in our mouth. And that's what God said. It is a dangerous thing. Why must we learn to control our words? Because of the influence of our words. Number two, because of the iniquity of our words. And we've seen five steps to that iniquity. Then finally, because of the inconsistency of our words. Our tongues are hypocrites. Oh, my tongue. I can't believe it. At one minute I'm praising God, the next minute, ugh. Verse 9, therewith blessed we God, even the Father. And therewith cursed we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Every religious Jew, now I'm not speaking about the Messianic Jews, the followers of Christ, but every religious Jew had to very faithfully repeat their prayers three times a day. And they would end that prayer with the words, blessed be thou, O God, one God. Every Jew, every day, three times a day would say these words until it began to be so much of a, a rote part of their life. And then as soon as they finished praying, they'd start yelling at their husband, or they'd start screaming at their kids, or they'd start 
uh, angrily cussing at their wife, whatever the case is, in one minute they'd be blessing God, and the next second they would be cursing man. And God said, how can that be? Don't you realize mankind is made after the image of God? When you're cursing mankind, you're actually cursing God. He said, you're, God, people deserve respect for, if for no other reason because they are made in the image of God. I don't respect people's sin, of course. We can't acknowledge and condone their sin, but people themselves deserve our respect because they're made after the image of God. Verse 10, out of the same mouth, unbelievably, proceedeth blessing and cursing. One side of the mouth, we're blessing, and the next minute, we're cursing. My brethren, and now in the construction of the Greek language here, this is the only place it's like this in the whole New Testament. But basically, he's saying, this is not right, my brethren. These things ought not so to be. This is not right, not right at all. I mean, this is it's like an exclamation point. And Pastor James, is, he's just laying it out there saying, this is not right. There's no equivocation here. This is not right. There's a story that comes from the ancient world about the philosopher Xanthus. Xanthus was having a distinguished meal for his well-known guests, and he instructed his servant to prepare a five-course meal, nothing but the best of foods. And the time for the meal arrived, and the first course was tongue. The second course was tongue, just cooked a different way. The third course was tongue, cooked another way. And the fourth course, and the fifth course, all were tongue. Xanthus said to his servant, I thought I told you to get the best thing in the market. And the servant said, this is the best thing, because with the tongue, we can praise God. With the tongue, we can give love to others. With the tongue, we can do so many kind things. Xanthus says, okay. He then instructed his servant to go to prepare another meal, and this night he was not especially liking the people that he had come, but he knew that he must do it. So he said, I want you to prepare a meal, but I don't want you to get good food. I want you to get the worst food possible. And so the servant went. He brought it back, and the first course was tongue. The second course was Tongue just prepared a different way. And the third and the fourth and the fifth. When the evening was done, Xanthus said to his servant, he said, I thought I asked you to get the worst meal. You went out and got what you brought for the best meal. He said, Master, tongue is both the best and the worst of meals. And the fact is, it's so true. The tongue is at one time so good, so amazing. In fact, I've heard people sing, and I was like, man, I'm just... You just can't believe how beautiful it is. You've heard people say things. Man, how in the world can someone turn a phrase like that? I've heard the joy of a little child saying, I love you. Or, I mean, some of those, you just melt your heart. But I tell you one thing, I've heard some bitter words. Ooh, it just gets down inside you, good and bad. And so James illustrates it with two very appropriate pictures about the double-dealing diction of our tongues. First of all, it is a sweet and bitter fountain. Verse 11, doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Of course not. It's impossible. 
who've been reading lots of stories about people over there in Wyoming going to Yellowstone and getting near that geyser. Well, I'll tell you, those geysers that are so full of mineral water, it's always mineral water. They don't sometimes have clear, beautiful, natural water, and sometimes, no, it's always mineral water. When we were, we've gone to Europe now a few times, and uh, they really do water different over there. First of all, of course, you not a uh, good idea to drink much tap water, but uh, when you go there, they always ask you, you know, here you go to a restaurant, they say, would you like water? Yes, please. Would you like lemon? Yes, I'll take lemon. That's about the extent of our ice. But over there, they have uh, several questions about water. One of the guys asked me, he said, uh, do you want, uh, you want clear or gas? I said, gas? I don't want no gassy water. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, but there in Italy, it's... Uh, Fragasi or something like that. It just means with gas. It means with carbonation, you know. Do you want, you want water with the gas in it, or do you want plain water, or clear water, or what? they have so many different terms. It's hilarious. And I never know where you go to. You're like, I, I just, I, you know, you're reading, trying to read on a bottle. Okay, is this gas? Is this a fizzy, or just like plain, you know? And uh, what kind of water is this? Because I want clear water. But here, um, the, um, James is saying, water can't come out of the same fountain, can't come both clear and gassy. It doesn't work that way. It has to be one or the other. And God, what he's saying is it, is, it is so duplicious on our part to say we're a Christian and yet out of our mouth have all these terrible negative things, if, if not just uh, blasphemous things, our speech ought to be sweet. Someone once said, the reason a dog has so many friends is that he wags his tail instead of his tongue. We ought to um, have a uh, sweet fountain out of our mouth. Amen. And then he gives the illustration of a fig and an olive tree. Verse 12, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Can either a fig or vine figs? Olives don't grow on a fig tree. And they don't grow on a grapevine either. And the fact is, a fresh heart that's in touch with God and in tune with God and in His Word doesn't produce bitter water. A fig can't grow an olive. It's, the fact is that a taste of the product, are you writing this down? A taste of the product tells the nature of its source. A taste of the product tells the nature of its source. If I'm a Christ-loving, Bible-loving believer... It will come out in my words. But if I'm a person who just always seems to be biting and negative and angry and harsh and short and, you know, on and on, I don't know, just it pretty much an indication I'm not in the Word. I'm not really living in the Word. And Paul, or excuse me, James said, that, oh, the inconsistency of our tongues. There was a little girl who very lovingly had her arms wrapped around her father's neck and was enjoying the close intimacy of her father clutching her closely. She was, uh, her head was over his shoulder and looking backwards. And the mother saw that the little girl, at the same time being clutched by her father, was sticking her tongue out at her little brother. And the mother said something very insightful. Take your arms 
from about your father's neck. You cannot profess love to your father and at the same time stick out your tongue at his son. And that's exactly what this verse is saying. We can't say that we're in love with God and at the same time just so angry and bitter towards people. God's creation is consistent if it's nothing else. A believer's tongue should be an instrument of consistency. When you see somebody, when they're feeling good, their tongue ought to be nice. Of course. When they're happy, got a little money in the bank, bills are paid, feeling good. But when a person's not feeling good, they still should have a kind word. When a person is, doesn't maybe have all their money situation, they still should be happy people. Regardless of my circumstance, my happiness doesn't depend on what happens, but on the joy that God gives me. You'd say, what can I do? Two tips. Two tips for the tongue. And hopefully this will, not, this will be on the tip of your tongue. Number one, rely on God's strength. The Bible says that no man can tame the tongue, but it doesn't say that God can't tame the tongue. Some people say, oh, you know, you know, I can't tame the tongue. Um, no, it just means I can't tame the tongue. That doesn't mean we can't control our tongues. It doesn't mean we can't and shouldn't control how we talk. It just means that God has to do that. And that's why Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You need to join the I can club. I'm an I canner. I can. I think you ought to get a t-shirt that just says I can. And then maybe the below that says through Christ. I can. Just make a bold statement. I can through Christ. I love that passage in Mark chapter 7, verse 33. Jesus had been healing people, and they brought a man to him that was deaf. He was hearing impaired. He also, because of his deafness, was unable to speak. Jesus healed the man. Do you remember how he healed him? In Mark chapter 7, it says he, uh, he stuck his hands, his fingers, in his ears. And then he took spit from his own mouth and he placed it on the tongue of that man. Now, what in the world? What kind of an what kind of a unusual way to heal somebody? I'll tell you, someone comes to me with their spit, you know, unless it's my wife's spit, but, uh, you know, uh, come on, some of their, their spit. I mean, I'm, I'm not into that spit, I'll tell you right now. But Jesus, this man had to let Jesus take his spit. When I read that story, I thought, you know what? What no doctor could do for that man's ears, what no medical procedure, what no therapy could do for that man's tongue, Jesus' spit could. The the power, the whole story is about the power of God. That's what that's about, is that if I will humbly submit to whatever God wants, if I'll submit to maybe something different, if I'll just submit to God, He can touch my tongue. And I need Jesus to touch my tongue, don't you? I need Him to touch my tongue because, and with God's power, we can do that. I can with God's strength. And then number two this morning, not only if we want to control our time. We must rely on God's strength. But number two, we must put our heart in tune with God's. If we want our tongue to sing the praises of God, we need to be in tune with God. How do I get in tune with God? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 
All Scripture is given. It's profitable. What for? For teaching, for doctrine, for reproof when I need correction, for correction, for instruction in doing the right thing. That the man of God may be perfect, that the woman of God would be mature, thoroughly furnished with all your clothes on, thoroughly furnished. We want a furnished apartment, thoroughly furnished unto every, all good works. Now we have this uh, piano here, and we, uh, we occasionally tune it. By the way, we were able to purchase a beautiful piano that someone had and they were getting rid of, and so we had a couple thousand dollars in our music account, and so we purchased that a few months ago, and we get in that new building, we got this beautiful black, ebony black piano, it's going to be beautiful, can't wait to hear it. But now how do we tune this piano? Well, here's how it works, a, a piano tuner comes in, it's not like, you know, electronic technician that goes over to the keyboard, no, you have to, it's a very physical thing, you have to, you have to have a tuning fork. They have different notes there, and so they, uh, they have the tuning forks have different notes, and so they'll hit it like that on something, and then they'll listen to that sound, and then they'll go over to the piano, and they'll hit that same note on the piano, and if there's a difference, then they'll go up inside of here, and they'll take a little ratchet, and they'll tighten it, or they'll loosen it, and hit it again. They tune the piano to an exact standard, to a good standard. That's why we sing the hymn, tune my heart, Lord, to sing thy praise. Tune me up, Lord. Sometimes when we've had to get on our children, I'll say, I just tuned them up a little bit. That's all. Just tuned them up. And uh, tuned them to what? Tuned them up to righteousness. Tuned them up to the Word of God. Tuned them up. God says, if you want to be thoroughly furnished, then don't tune your heart to Fox News. Don't tune your heart to CNN. Don't tune your heart to your favorite book or program or your favorite country western. Quit tuning your heart to all this junk. Tune your heart to the Word of God. Tune your heart to the Word of God. I remember one day I was working uh, by myself and I'm doing some work on doing sheetrock work, I think it was, and that's just mindless, hard, uh, same but kind of at the same time, kind of enjoyable work and monotonous, but in a good way. I don't know. I enjoy it. And I was, uh, I had the, had the, uh, uh, the tape playing and had scripture. It was just quoting scripture. It was that uh, English guy, I forget his name, but he's quoting that English, you know, quoting the, quoting the Bible in that English brogue of his, you know, and it sounded so regal and so great. And I was just, I was sitting there just, I remember just kind of working and all of a sudden, <laughs> whoo, just, I felt like I was on fire, just like burning, you know, it's, the word of God is like a fire in my bones, the prophet said. I felt that. The fire of the word of God, just, wow, nothing's like that. I never get that feeling when I'm listening to you know, about some dog that got ran over by the truck and he, you know, he had to go to the bar and all that. I don't get that same feeling. But the Word of God just is a powerful. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Tune our lives to the Word of God. Get the right tuning fork. Tune yourself to it. And the words just automatically come forth. Oh, the power of the Word.
this is going to date uh, me, but uh, those of you that uh, like old music, you probably will remember this, even if you're not my age. Back in the 70s, when I was uh, in high school, uh, one of my favorite, I wasn't a big music person. I wasn't like uh, Pastor Mike. He, he, that was his God. But uh, I'm not saying I was good. I just don't ever remember who it was. But, uh, but there was uh, one singer I do remember. Was, her name was Karen Carpenter. They were the Carpenters. You may remember. Her songs were uh, hit songs. And she had this mellow voice. It just uh, melted you. And I remember some of her uh, songs close to you, and some of those songs. But you may not know the tragic story of Karen Carpenter. Her and her, her and her brother were sang together, Richard Carpenter. She actually died, um, I think in 1983, died of a heart attack brought on uh, by anorexia. She uh, starved herself to the point where she uh, had heart failure. Terrible, terrible emotional problem. But what we may not have heard is the reason for that. Now, of course, it was demonic from a biblical sense, but from just an outward sense, when she was in, her mid, in the mid-70s, she read what a, what a reviewer said about her and her brother. The reviewer said... The music from Richard and his chubby little sister. Chubby little sister. When she read those words, they just rang in her head. And it was just merciless. It was just like just, just talking to her constantly. You're chubby. You're fat. And no matter how much weight she lost, she always kept thinking, you're just chubby. You're just chubby. Oh, the power of words. They can either build or they can tear down. I think personal prophecies. I think prophecies from others. It's so important that we remember that our words must not be inconsistent because they follow Christ. Let's make sure that my words are the words of God. Would you bow your heads with me, please?